Okay, we're here. We are live. So, welcome to a Soul's Journey series. We're up to the third and final lecture on chapter four in the book of Tanya. So let's, let's just re recap because we're going to go a little off topic here. Basically, what the Alter Rebbe wants to take us to very quickly, straight from chapter two, he talks about the godly soul. He talks about the core of the godly soul, uniqueness about the godly soul. Then he talks about the 10 faculties. Then he talks about the three garments. Now that we're talking about the garments, he talks about how the soul in itself it cannot express itself unless it can through the garments. The garments are the thought, speech, and action. And he talks about how the intellects of the soul expresses itself through the thought. What is the intellect of the soul? We're talking about the godly soul. So the intellect of the soul is wanting to understand Torah. When we study Torah, what are we doing? We're having our intellects closed within the garment of thought, and thus it can express itself. And then he talks about how the emotions, and he talks about how the primary emotions is love and fear, and everything is an offshoot of that. One of those two. So he talks about how all the 248 thou shall commandments is all the embodiment of love. So when we talk about it, we do it. So our garments of speech and action is clothing the emotions of the godly soul, love. And when we, could, when we observe the 365 prohibitions, right, the 248, the 365, the 613 commandments, when we talk about the 365 prohibitions, we are embodying either in speech or in action the emotion of fear. So love drives everything that we do, and fear drives everything that we refrain from doing, primarily. Now, obviously, you'll see later in Tanya, it talks about the mix, but primarily, that's the way it works, okay? With that being said, because he talks about how specifically through the garments we can connect to God, God, and that was last week's class, right? Dress for the job for a relationship you cannot have yet. So because he talks about how through garments we reach where the soul itself cannot reach because the soul itself, it, it's, its intellects and its emotions, its faculties, its organs, its intellects and emotions are limited. God is infinite. How can the finite ever wrap itself around the infinite? However, when we're using the garments to understand Torah, to do the mitzvahs of God, like we spoke in yesterday's class, Torah and mitzvahs are all what? Primordial. They're the interior will, the essence. Thus, by doing that, the soul is being hugged by God, the essence of God, far greater than the faculties of the soul could ever unite with God. Okay? With that being understood, he goes on to say something else. He talks about how the study of Torah is even greater than the, the concept of mitzvot. Why so? So he explains. Because when you do a mitzvah, you're not hugging God. You're being hugged by God. So when your hands light Shabbos candles, put on filling, give charity, your hand is not absorbing. Your, 
command is not encompassing, it is being encompassed by the will of God. That means that you're being hugged by God, but you are not hugging God. What happens when you study Torah? Your mind internalizes. Let's use the word, you wrap your head around it. When you wrap your head around it, who is hugging who? No, you're hugging God. Because you're wrapping your head around it, you're internalizing it. And thus in Kabbalah, we refer to mitzvot as the concept of, gar of garments. I don't mean it like the soul's garments. We for, for, refer to it as garments. And the, the Zohar tells us a story how the sages told a kid that I can smell in your garments, the fragrance of your garments that you didn't say Shema today. And the kid went on to say, you're right, because the Mishnah says that when you're occupied with a funeral to give respect and bury the dead, you don't say Shema. So again, the Zohar says, I smelled in your garments. That means spiritually speaking, mitzvot are garments. Now we understand why. Because garments encompass you. So through the mitzvahs, the will of God encompasses you. It does not change your hand. Your hand does not internalize the prayer tefillin, the Shabbos candles, the giving charity. It doesn't internalize it. Thus, when you're doing the will of God, you're not internalizing the mitzvah. The mitzvah is wrapping around you. Okay? Unlike studying Torah, studying Torah is directly digesting, internalizing the study of Torah. So much so that there's a law. The law is that when you repeat a teaching in the name of someone that taught you, you bring redemption to the world. You're not allowed to say a Dvar Torah that you heard from someone without saying it in his name. Thus, you always find it in the Talmud. He's telling you who is the original one that said it. Now, we learned that out, by the way, from the Purim story. Why was Mordechai saved? Where does the miracle begin with? The miracle begins with that Ahasuerus was not able to sleep at night and he told his people, read me from my diary. And what does it say there in the diary? Mordechai saved the king's life from big service. She wanted to poison it. How did King Ahasuerus know about this? Because Mordechai told Esther and Esther told King Ahasuerus, Mordechai told me. Thus we learn now, if you say something in the name of who it was said, maybe you bring redemption to the world. So when you study Torah and you're saying something that was taught to you, you have to say it in the name that it was taught. However, that law does not apply once you're not repeating it because your teacher told it to you, but you have so dissected it and digested it and internalized it that you tr truly own it. At that point, halakhically, you don't have to say it in the name of your teacher because now it's your Torah. So I'm just sharing with you how far it goes, the words, your Torah. It's not your Torah, it's God's Torah. But no, no, because the process of studying Torah is so deep and it's so internalized, thus this is the only place where you get hugged by God and you're hugging God. It's a double hug. Thus, we talk about the study of Torah unlike anything else. In King Solomon's book, what does it say in this book of songs? It says, You kiss me with the kiss of the mouth. And what does the Zohar say? That that refers to the study of Torah. 
Thus, over there, it's not being kissed. It's a double kiss from mouth to mouth. So everything when it comes to Torah is very different, which leads me, because Al-Tarebbe talks about this, so I want to share with you a concept. The title of today's class, as you saw on the flyer, was Mitzvah, Mitzvah on the Wall, Who is Fairest of Them All? Why am I sharing this? Because if you study the Torah, you're going to find it use sayings that makes it sound like it's contradicting itself. For example, concerning the study of Torah, we quote in the morning the Mishnah and Peah, and what do we finish it off? The Mishnah closes up with saying, the Talmud Torah can negate Kulam. And the study of Torah is equivalent to everything. On the other hand, in the Jerusalem Talmud, anytime it says the word mitzvah without an adjective explaining which mitzvah it means, it's talking about charity. Because if the Yashami Talmud says that the mitzvah, which equals and outweighs all mitzvahs, is charity. Then we have another teaching, which every Chabad by Mitzvah boy talks about because it is the mimer, the Hasidic discourse that we studied by heart at the age of 13, which the previous Rebbe said by his Mitzvah. And we quote over there, Hukshu Tfilin, the Chola Tfilin is comparable to all of the Torah. What do you think? So each one is, is what? So what does that mean? So it seems to be, over here you're saying that the mitzvah of all mitzvahs is tzedakah. Here it is, no, studying Torah outweighs everything. Here it is, putting in tefillin is equivalent to studying Torah all day and night. What's happening? There's no, there's no one, one root. There's no one root, but this is very precise. So I, I am going a little off of the tiny track just to share with you what's going on here. And this we will understand what the Alter Rebbe is saying in this chapter a lot better. There's a famous saying that we laugh at our mashpias. We laugh at our mentors when we ask them a question. But here it says this, and there it says that. So it's a contradiction. And the famous answer you'll always get from your, your mentor is, It depends what you're talking about. So everything, it depends in relationship to what you're talking about. So is this the, the giver or the receiver? Depends what you're talking about. If you're talking about the relationship to the lower, it's the giver. You talk about the relationship to the upper, it's the receiver. So that saying in Hasidus, it depends where we're talking, is always applicable. Okay? okay? Now we can understand that everything I just shared with you, I quoted to you three. Those three, Torah, there's more, by the way. But talking about this situation, there's another one about Shabbat. Shabbat is the definition of so it depends where you're talking. So now we need to know precisely why Dal Rebbe says over here that he focuses on the teaching of Talmud Torah, the study of Torah outweighs everything else. What does it mean when the mitzvah outweighs everything else? And what does it mean when tefillin is equivalent to all of Torah? Right? So the focus in each one is extremely different. We spoke a little a little bit about the study of Torah, and I want to end with that. So I want to take it for a moment. When we talk about charity as the ultimate mitzvah, right? When we talk about the three pillars of the world, we talk about Torah, study of Torah, avoda, which is in time of the Holy Temple offering today prayer, and gemilut chasadim. Gemilut chasadim means acts of kindness. It's a form of charity. 
And then when we say that, we mean the pill of all mitzvot. What do we mean by that? Why are we saying the charity is... So when you talk about mitzvot, that its job is the transformation from the physical to the spiritual. That's what it's all about. Right? We spoke about that yesterday. It's not enough that God took us out of Egypt because that's not sustainable. He comes, he brings us to Torah, and then our job day by day is to live. Let's quote a verse from Shema. Heavenly days upon earth. What does that mean? We're going to live a physical life in a spiritual manner, thus transforming the physical into the spiritual. So let's talk about the most classical thing, which today we can relate to. The most classical thing is your Sefer Torah, your mezuzah, or your Piritfilim. What happens when you take a Sefer Torah? When you look at a Sefer Torah, you probably don't even realize that you're looking at cowhide. Other Sefer Torahs are deer hide, they're unique. But you're looking at cowhide. If I wouldn't tell this to you, you would never realize it when you're looking at a Torah. Because that, that cowhide to you is no more cowhide. It's a safe Torah. You kiss it. Even when you point, you're not allowed to touch. Even when you turn it, you hold your talus, you don't touch it. Because literally, as Jewish people, we look at the safe Torah and we see a holy artifact. This holy artifact is made out of herbs that turned into ink, cowhide, which turned into parchment, and wood. Wood, which turned into what we call the Eitz Chayim, the two ends, if it's an Ashkenazic Torah, the wraparound, if it's a Sephardic Torah. So when we talk about these physical items, it becomes so transparent that when you pick up your pinky, if that's your custom, and your point, you're looking at the Holy Torah. It's a total different dimension. That's what mitzvot is all about. That's what you do when you put a mezuzah on your house. That's what you do when you make blessings on the food. That's what you do when you bring guests to your table. That's what you do when you study Torah in your house. That's what you do when you have a push in your office. What you're doing is tra transforming physical objects into spiritual bricks of God's home. Right? That is a primary focus in doing commandments. And that is why every commandment manifests itself in a physical thing. So much so that the holy books talk about the six mitzvot, which makes up the holy book of the chavot halavavot, duties of the heart. We want to know, hey, where does this get physical? How does loving God get physical? So forth and so on. So the previous chapter talks about it. Love and fear causes an expansion of the heart or a contraction of the heart. That's how real love for God has to be. That's how real fear of God has to be, or of God. So everything has to manifest itself in the physical because the primary purpose of a mitzvah from this point of view is the transformation of the physical to the spiritual. No. We're talking about that. You now understand the Jerusalem Talmud. There is nothing that does that transformation the way charity does. Why? Because think about what goes into charity. First of all, it's the highest stress. It's on our mind 24-7. You cannot take your mind away from it, no matter what. You're always worried. And the month is coming, and if you're not worried, he who has one million wants two million. He who has two million wants four million. Who has four million has eight million. The thirst 
and the drive just gets bigger and bigger. So money encompasses all of us, all of our energy, all of our time, and that's what we're working on almost every waking moment of, of our life. Then on top of that, you take all the energy and you make that money. With that money, what can you buy? Life, sustenance. You can buy the primary stuff, right? Food, shelter, and clothing. Now, when you take charity, that you put every drop of your energy into, and you take away a 10% or 20%, depending what the custom is. From Pharaoh, it says that Joseph divided into five. That means 20%. Simply in the Torah, we talk about giving tithing, which is 10%. When you take that piece and you give it to charity, what have you just done? You've taken, number one, the biggest idol that exists today in America, money. You've taken every drop of energy, every drop of focus every drop of worry and you've just transformed all of that into spirituality thus when you want to talk about the ultimate experiencing of transformation of the physical the egocentric into spiritual the Yashami says there's nothing like charity if that's the perspective you're looking at so if you want to talk about mitzvahs from the perspective of transforming the physical world into a spiritual abode. Charity is the number one. Right? Then you have tefillin. Tefillin is a whole different bowl of wax. What is the concept of tefillin? You have the headpiece, you have the handpiece. This is from the Bar Mitzvah Mimer. You have the headpiece, you have the handpiece, and it draws it down. The intellect into the emotions, into the actions. Tefillin has an amazing power that it places us under a magnifying glass. When you're drawing down this level of higher intellect into emotions, it's the experience of becoming magnified in the eyes of God. The end product, the smallest part of it, all of a sudden is connecting and drawing the highest. Thus, while the entire world is all about drawing the emotions of God, for the world was created in, in six days. The other place talks about the Shivas Yimeh being in the seven days, because on the seventh day God created Minucha, rest. When you talk about that, the Zohar says, that we talk about yamin ilain, supernal days. It doesn't say that God created the world in six days. From the Zohar's perspective, it says, and God created the world with six days. Which six days? The six emotions. Shabbat is the seventh emotion. Thus, normally, all of the universe, all of creation is the product of the emotions. In Kabbalah, we refer to the emotions as small faces. Because they are small in relationship to what's above it. What is above it? Above it is Chachma and Bina, wisdom and understanding. They are, so to speak, primordial. They are the experience of the Torah. When people put on Tefillin, and we call Tefillin Hamshachas Hamoyichin, 
drawing down the intellects, all of a sudden we're not no more the product of the small faces, but we're drawing the greatness of the intellect. So if you're talking about mitzvahs that magnify our existence in the eye of heaven, tefillin is a winner. Okay? I'm sorry, I got my cold and made me cuckoo. Now let's talk about this chapter. Thank you. Thank you, Seda. Thank you so much. Now let's talk about this, this next piece of the Tanya so that we can truly appreciate. Thank you. We can truly appreciate what the Alter Rebbe is saying. He doesn't mention. He doesn't mention. Oh, this unique. This has a nice mint. <laughs> this is. He's not talking about drawing divinity into the world. He's not talking about transformation. He's talking about the primary concept of a mitzvah in the very definition of the word. A mitzvah, where does the word mitzvah come from? So we're taught that it comes from the word sasavachibur, connection. If you remember the first meme I sent out this week on the parasha tzav, which means commandment, what I wrote was the greatest gift of the mitzvah is the connection it offers us. Now let's talk about this from bottom up. The simple teaching of our sages is you have, I just want to give an example that it gives in, in the holy teachings. You have a Einstein times 10. And then you have a person who's got literally a closed mind. What kind of relationship can exist between the two? To talk about what Einstein wants to talk about, there's no understanding. To talk about what he's capable of talking about, Einstein's not going to be doing that. So the Zohar gives an interesting example. I don't know if I said the Zohar. I'm not sure it's the Zohar. I'm sorry. But it gives an interesting example. What happens when Einstein needs a cup of coffee to stay awake so he can do his work? And he turns around to that person and says, would you do me a favor? Could you make me a cup of coffee? What just happened? That person who in Einstein's eyes was presently a no one, not because he's de degrading him. He's just in the world of intellect. That's who I am. I'm only intellect. So in my world, you're non-existing. All of a sudden, he's existing. Now, our sages take this and say, times this by infinity. You have God and you have us. Of what? importance in a relationship with God can we have? Thus when God tells us can you do this mitzvah for me all of a sudden we exist in God's world. All of a sudden there's a relationship which two that are infinitely not related to each other. Thus the mitzvah by definition gives me a relationship with God. Thus, you now understand on a simple level why mitzvahs must be done with joy. What would it mean to God that God says, you know what? I'm going to make you something in my life by giving you commandments in which you can affect me. That is the greatest joy. Imagine I remember, in, in the times of old, in our sages' 
is always referred to the relationship of a king and a, and, and a, a commoner. Because what greater gift can there be to the commoner that the king wants to deal with him? Thus you understand that the mitzvah creates a situation in which the king of kings wants to deal with the physical mortal commoner. Thus the mitzvah gives me a connection in giving me a sense of purpose, a sense of worth. All of a sudden, all my life, all I wanted to do was have some type of relationship with this amazing king of kings. And now, I have an opportunity. Right? On the simplest level, that's what it means. A mitzvah offers a connection. Delta Rebbe here is taking it much further. Delta Rebbe is not just talking about the mere fact that you have a mitzvah. He starts dissecting it. He starts talking about how through the garments, which is how we perform Torah mitzvot, we are achieving that, not that the commoner has a relationship. We're talking about the godly soul. Even the godly soul, as it was in paradise, can have no true essence relationship with God. We spoke about it in the last class. When the soul is in heaven, pre-coming into a body, what does he do? The verse tells us he stands there in total love and fear of God. Emotional connection. And how does it have an emotional connection? By, by its own concentration and meditation on what it knows about God. The, the more it meditates, the more it understands to know God is to love God. To know God is to stand in awe of God. But the, to know falls all under that category of the verse I kept on quoting last class, and if you're going to search intellectually for God, are you going to find? Can the finite ever wrap itself around the infinite? Thus, when we talk about the Garden of Eden, we talk about the pleasure of the Garden of Eden is what? The pleasure of the Garden of Eden is to be able to bask in the ray of divinity. What does it mean to bask in the ray of divinity? What it means is to absorb but how much of an absorption can there be? Thus, we're taught in the Garden of Eden, there's only a ray of divinity. What's about the Torah? So I'm repeating some of the things I said in the last class, but it's important for us to understand. Okay. What is the point of the Torah? The Torah is not a ray of God. The Torah is the essence of God. Because when it's the Torah begins with a non-Hebrew word. The Ten Commandments doesn't say Ani Hashem. It says Anochi. And we already explained, the sages say it's because the acronym of the four letters of Anochi, Aleph, Nun, Chaf, Yud, is Anan, Nafshit, Tavit, Yehavit. I have placed myself into, into my writings. We quoted the teaching from Parshish Truma. You want to take me? Truma. What does the word Truma mean, our sages say? Torah Mem. The Torah that was given in 40 days a night. The only way to take me is through Torah. Everything else is a ray, an offshoot. Thus the prophet says, why are you screaming in deep yearning? I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. You're in the water, drink it. And what does this verse mean? 
the verse means. Why are you sitting here yearning for God when you can study Torah and quench your thirst? For that is where you take God. Thus, when someone yearns for spirituality, that's foolish. A spirituality that is just to bask in the light of God versus studying Torah, that's foolish. I'm not speaking not to the search for spirituality. It's all part of the preparations to be able to absorb Torah. But the point I'm trying to make here is that's what the prophet's saying. What are you doing on a treetop or a mountaintop in Tibet when you can be in yeshiva and learning? That's where it happens. Thus, we're talking about a mitzvah in the sense of what? Not transformation, not drawing divinity, but in the sense of bonding. In the sense of bonding, because that's what Al-Tareb is focused on here. He's focusing on the unity between the soul, the oneness between the soul and God. So even though we talk about the oneness happening by its meditation and concentration on the greatness of God, which gives birth to emotions, which is a bonding, that is minuscule in comparison to doing a mitzvah. Thus, we now understand the famous saying of our sages, greater is one hour of doing Torah study and good deeds in this world than all of a lifetime in the paradise. Because in the paradise, you're only absorbing a ray of divinity. There's nothing else that any soul could truly digest. While when you hear him for one hour, you're being hugged by the will of God when you do a mitzvah. The king himself, capital H, is hugging you. And you get to even hug back when you're studying Torah. Thus, if you want to know mitzvah, mitzvah on the wall, who is fairest of them all, the answer is, it depends what you're talking about. If you're talking about transformation, tzedakah. If you're talking about drawing down higher divinity than the emotions, intellects put on tefillin. If you're talking about the ultimate bond with God, lower level mitzvot, the highest level, keneged kulam, is Torah. Because how different is the unity when you're just being hugged versus when you're given the capacity to hug back. And thus it's a double hug. It gets deeper than this. The Altarebbe says that there is no physical metaphor for the unity that takes place between us and God when we study His Torah. Then saying that there is no physical metaphor, he gives the best he can, which is a double hug. Why? Because in hugging, there are two people hugging each other. There is no no, two becoming one. When I'm sharing with you that my great mass is physically digesting and changing, my paradigm changes, the physical crevices, the neural connections, which triggers off the different chemicals. Everything, my entire biology changes when I'm studying Torah, so 
even though it changes by any process of thinking, the mind causes the brain to do these changes. But now we're talking about what's creating these changes and what are these changes becoming? The Torah of Hashem. Thus really is hugging a good metaphor. Let's take it a step further, okay? You say Yisker. You remember your parents. What would you really say as a mature child? What would you really say about, about your parents? Are you going to talk about the food he liked? Yeah. Are you going to talk about his favorite chair, his favorite sport? Or are you really always focusing, Dad, what advice would you give me? What would you say in a love relationship is true knowing? There's a reason why in all these good housekeepings, when they start talking about how good couples know each other, they ask you interesting questions. Do you know if your loved one puts on sock, sock, shoe, shoe, sock, shoe, sock, shoe? What they're really asking is how well do you know the person? Ultimately speaking, knowing is knowing the way the person thinks which affects the way the person feels, which affects the way the person does. So when I say, I know you, what do I know? I know your paradigm. I know how you take things. I know how you perceive things. I know how you react to things. Yeah, I also happen to know what your favorite colors, your favorite dishes, and I know that, that, that all that good fun. When you want to say, the Take me. What does it mean, take me? You're talking about a oneness where you know my mind. Correct? Yeah. This takes place by Torah. There was a story. I know the story. The man's name is Khalif Glitzenstein. He was in Israel. He's a very big researcher, writer, the Chabadnik. And he tells a story about someone who wasn't even religious that came into him, spoke to him about something and about the Rebbe and Rebbe's opinion. And he told him, you're not a chassid. You're not a chassid. Insulted. He said, but a chassid would know what the Rebbe would answer. If you say you're a chassid and you truly, your life is dedicated to be one with the Rebbe, then what do you you mean you don't know what the Rebbe would answer? Well, I'm not a Rebbe. To know is to be. Are you his chassid? The Rebbe spoke for 40 years. There's thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, literally, of pages of writing, of his talks, of his letters, and everything. You understand that that's what God does with you? He often you to know what he would have to say about something. How? Study his Torah. If I know, if I know someone that I should be able to finish his or her sentence, I should know how they would react to a situation. And those most often when a child, after years of not having their parent, what do they yearn for? Dad, what would you tell me to do? It's not in the restaurant. Dad, what would you order? It's that this is a situation. What would you do? Mom, I'm going through a difficult breakup. What would you have to say about this? What would be your advice? 
Torah offers you that. So the Al-Tareb is saying the bond, any bond that you can think of, physical bond, is impossible to really describe why Talmud Torah connected Kulam. Thus, you now understand that if you're studying Torah, you only stop to do a mitzvah if someone else can't do it. Because ultimately speaking, if God is offering you this oneness with Him, it's disgraceful that you would walk away and do something which is less of a bond with Him. And the only reason why you would do it is because that's what God wants you to do and there's no one else to do it. Which is either one of two situations, excuse me. Either because there's physically no one else to do this right now. Someone needs to be visited. He's sick. She's sick. There's a mitzvah bikr cholim. There's no one else to do it. Stop and do it. Or because it's a mitzvah that is an obligation on the individual. No one can put on tefillin for me. I have to do it by myself every day. No one can light your Shabbos candles for you. You have to light your Shabbos candles. So forth and so on. Other than those two reasons, which is not about me, it's about God's will, how can you walk away? Thus, you have an unbelievable statement that the Alter Rebbe quotes already in the first chapter. Only about, only about the commandment of studying Torah does the Alter Rebbe quote the verse that says, Kidvar Hashem Boza, you have shamed the word of God. What is really going on here? And if I don't put on film, I also shame the word of God. God said, put on film. Deeper, I would suggest, is what it's telling you is you have shamed God who's offered himself to you, completely vulnerable. I'm not, I'm a rabbi. I'm not supposed to give this example. But imagine a woman offers herself to a man. and No, thank you. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Imagine this times a million of a million of a million. God offers himself to you. And a oneness that's just unbelievable. And then what are you saying? Thus you understand that the al brings this topic specifically when he talks about the garments, telling you that the garments offer you the ultimate quest of the soul, which is to have a oneness to God, which the soul itself cannot offer you. Thus we're saying, Talmud Torah can get cool. Why does Al Tereba do this? And let's close it up in five minutes. Why does Al Tereba do this? Al Tereba does this because many of us would make the same mistake which I alluded to before. We do this all the time. Do me a favor. This is prayer. Come into the room and look at the prayer book. That's not prayer. Prayer is meditation. Right? But really, that, that's what it means to be Jewish. Really, I, I have to eat three matzahs and then enough. That, that's, what, that's what Passover is all about, the birth of a nation. I got to eat bitter herbs. This, this is what God wants from me. Really, the great big God who I'm yearning to be one with is going to worry about whether I'm eating lobster or filter fish. All these things seem so petty for such a big God. I mean, if Judaism is supposed to be the ultimate religion, then why is it so, so detailed, so finicky, with such small, 
significant things. So you have, I, mean, I was just reading a diary of someone that was by the Rebbe Seder. Can you imagine what's going on through a tzaddik's mind when he's doing the Seder? The first half represents the exile, the coming out of Egypt. The second half talks about Mashiach. And, and what's going on and what kind of portals he has to open up and experiences he has to be. And then when you read it, you see that Rebbe was careful the matzah shouldn't touch the water, that Rebbe was careful how he did the water, and then what happened with the charoises, and how he dipped into the wine, and what he did. Really? It's almost like the famous story they tell that Caesar, he actually went on a mountain to look after he got to know the Jews. He wanted to see what was going on in the Holy Temple on Yom Kippur. What kind of more spiritual day could it be? And he was blown away. There was no spirituality. Animals, animal blood, sacrifices. Like, really? He thought he was going to hear the ultimate Om come out of the universe. So that's why in this chapter, the Altarev is explaining to you. You're right. If you want the spirituality of the soul, then the garment is a nuisance. Shut down the thought. Don't speak. Try not to move a limb. That's unnecessary. That is the ultimate states of nirvana when you're talking about a different type of spirituality. But if you want to know what it means to truly become one with God, engage your garments. Because they're not about you and your experience. They're about God. And thus you truly become one with God. Thus if you're going to sit and meditate in silence for 40 days and 40 nights, or you're going to sit in yeshiva and try to figure out when did the calf get kicked out of the cow. The ox scores the cow. We come inside and we see the baby calf dead. The mother owner, the cow says, your ox gored my cow. Pushed out the baby calf. You owe me money. The bud, the guy, owner, the ox says, leave me alone. Your cow had a miscarriage. And then my, my ox bought your cow. I don't owe you nothing for that baby. And because according to Jewish law, ownership is ten-tenths of the law, not nine-tenths, you have to bring the proof. That, that is bonding with God. Silencing your garment, allowing the faculties of your soul to be experienced, that's you. Thus, the Altev is telling you, yeah, it looks like you're going down, but only through going down do you reach the unprecedented up. Thus, chapter 4 about the garments. Don't belittle the garments. That's where Judaism takes place. That's where bonding with God takes place. A bond which we have no physical metaphor for. Shkoyach.